Hello, and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have become real to us because we think that helps us apply them in our lives more, and we really need to apply these scriptures into our lives. I'm your host, Kerry Mielstein, and I'm so happy to have back with me just a few weeks later. Uh, Sean, we got so much positive feedback on your Sean, that uh, we decided we better have you back on. In fact, uh, most people emailed me and said, please just have him be the host and you step out. So uh, where you give me that the... I fix anything that I messed up last time. I get a second chance, right? <laughs> well, that's what our editor is for. But um, uh, she had you saying things that you didn't actually say. But anyway, um, <laughs> no. Anyway, welcome, Sean. So, just as a brief introduction for anyone who didn't hear the last podcast, Sean is the department chairman of uh, the Ancient Scripture Department, my department. So he's my boss. So be nice to him. Uh, he. Uh, has studied both uh, Hebrew and Arabic literature at a number of places, most recently uh, University of Texas. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we still like him. So, uh, no, I like the University of Texas. And uh, has just done all sorts of great things and uh, also has a child on a mission and uh, other wonderful children and a wonderful wife. So uh, welcome, Sean. Tell us more about yourself. Thank you. Well, uh, that uh, my wife is wonderful. I, I was just at a medieval conference in Oregon, and I've got a son who lives in the Portland area with our two grandchildren. So I did make a stop by to see the two grandkids, which was uh, nice. pretty satisfying. Grandpa Sean, look at that. I should say, so is this your oldest son? It is. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we should say one of my favorite memories is, uh, my oldest son was on an Orem rec basketball team and going to the championship game. And I went to sit there and I ended up sitting next to my good friend, Sean, to find that his son was the leading scorer on the other team. And they ended up having to play twice. And, uh, and uh, that's how you found, I found out how good a friendship we have because we're both pretty avid sports fans and supporters of our sons. And we could uh, cheer and still get along but sitting next to each other as our sons uh, literally sometimes bumped up against each other. And uh, it was a great game. So uh, so I'm glad to hear your son's still doing well. So. Yeah, and uh, I think we, we were hoping to get them on an intramural team together at BYU, and it didn't end up panning out. But, uh, yeah. yeah, we I, I think uh, Carrie's son, the reason why he has positive memories of that, because I think Carrie's son team, uh, son's team uh, ended up with the victory in the end. But I uh, was not going to say anything about that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah, that was a good, good two games. Indeed. Yeah, double elimination tournament, so they had to play two in a row, which is yeah. one way to, I mean, that, 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 that you can you can lose sportsmanship by a second game in that kind of a situation, but no one did. I was impressed with it. Anyway. Yeah. Well, Sean, uh, we're talking, we've got a huge reading assignment today, uh, or this week, and come follow me, and there's no way we're going to try and touch on all of that. So as we often do, I thought, uh, well, and, and you thought, uh, that let's just take one element that is particularly meaningful and real to us and focus in on that and see if we can just, uh, we'll, we'll let other uh, podcasts try and cover the whole range of it, and we'll, we'll drill down on a couple of uh, particular elements or stories. So why don't you take us somewhere good with that, Sean? Okay. Well, so uh, the place that we thought it would be nice to go, the place I'm interested in us going is Luke 15. So we're going to jump straight to what are known as the parables of the lost. And the, there's some really fun things that we, I think, often miss as Latter-day Saints. And that I, that starts maybe with Jesus's central point that he seems to be making here. So let me start with a statement by Joseph Smith that you may have heard or will hear at other times. And Joseph says, I have a key by which I understand the scriptures. I inquire, what was the question which drew out the answer or caused Jesus to utter the parable? To ascertain its meaning, we must dig up the root and ascertain what it was that drew the saying out of Jesus. So this has been useful, not just to me, but to many scripture readers, uh, this guidance from Joseph Smith. And I think it ends up being very useful in this case with Luke 15. Yeah. So before we then do the reveal of what elicited the response from Christ... 
Let me just mention there are other ways that maybe we won't dig into as much, but they're fruitful ways of reading these parables, and they have been read that way fruitfully by other Latter-day Saint prophets. Um, David O. McKay spent a fair amount of time with these parables that focus on the kind of finding work that we should do, how to find others um, as we follow the example of of Christ the shepherd what kind of a shepherd should we be and there there's some really nice things where you can say well you know when and, and David O. McKay President McKay talks about this if a sheep wanders and this is now the parable of the lost sheep that sheep wasn't and I actually I've got to find the way President McKay talks about this because he's he's really fun uh talks about the sheep not being willfully uh rebellious um as he wanders away but uh instead uh wandering oh i know why i'm not finding it hold on just a second here we, we can hold on i i do have over my shoulder uh, a picture of uh, a shepherd with sheep just to highlight uh, this plus it's my book but anyway uh, but, What's the uh, title, Carrie? What... Uh, that's uh, finding promised blessings on the covenant path. But I, I, the the picture of the shepherd with the sheep, I thought worked well with this. So, yeah, that that's nice. Um, okay, so the this fun statement from David O. McKay: How did that sheep get lost? He was not rebellious. If you follow the comparison, the lamb was seeking its livelihood in a perfectly legitimate manner, but either stupidly, <laughs> and that's sort of the comment that's fun for me, either stupidly. And sheep often do things stupidly. Let's but, just be yeah, anyway. yeah. Not, yeah, not the most intelligent of uh, the animal kingdom. No. Uh, no. uh, either stupidly, perhaps unconsciously, it followed the enticement of the field, the prospect of better grass until it got out beyond the fold and was lost. So we have those in the church, young men and young women who wander away from the fold. And, and what he says is in perfectly legitimate ways. And, and I think what he means by that is it, they're, they're not trying to be rebellious. They're careless, right? Yeah. Um, they are seeking success, success in business, success in their professions. Before long, they become disinterested in the church and finally disconnected from the fold. They have lost track of what true success is, perhaps stupidly, perhaps unconsciously. In some cases, perhaps willingly, they are blind to what constitutes true success. So. He talks about the, a certain kind of lost sheep. He talks about the lost coin. Um, and, and so what do you do if someone wanders away from the fold? You go get them. You go get them, right? And the, then there's that really wonderful general conference address where one of the 70 talks about a young man who had started to come back to activity, and then he just decided to skip church one day. And the young man ends up, he's going surfing, and his priesthood leader actually follows him out in yeah. and puts his hand on his shoulder and says, you need to come to church. And they they leave. And, and this person ended up serving in very significant ways in the church over the rest of his life because someone actually went out into the ocean to get him. And I think that that's an example of the wandering sheep. And, and I, I'm doing all this as a preface to we're going to read this differently, but I think these are helpful ways to read it. So, yeah. Karen, uh, more that should be said on that before I briefly talk about the lost coin? No, no. Okay. I mean, I, 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 you're going somewhere else with it, right? Yes, so, yes. I'm starting here, and then I'm going to shift gears. Okay. Um, I'll, so, I'll ride with it. Next, then, the lost coin then the point that David O'McCann and others have made is that this coin actually doesn't get lost of its own volition. Someone else actually causes, it, it's the steward of the home who, who doesn't uh, take care of the coin actually, and the coin gets lost by the volition of the steward. And that that's sort of fascinating. So what do you do if you've got a lost sheep, not a rebellious sheep, but a lost sheep? Will you go after that lost sheep? What do you do if the coin or this precious individual gets lost because you have mishandled things. You clean yeah. your own home. Yeah. And, and, and that, I, I think that could be like you as a, a parent with your own home, or it can be that a church leader was, and if we have, we've talked about this in the church a lot, but it's bears repeating. Uh, we have imperfect people serving 
in the church. There are no perfect people, so they're all imperfect. And sometimes we accidentally offend people. And some sometimes there are people who offend people. Uh, I mean, I know of, of church leaders, who, not like apostles or something, but church leaders who've done some pretty horrendous things because they were struggling with their own weaknesses. Uh, and and so we have to sometimes clean that house. So I, I just want our, our listening audience to think of this in any number of of ways that there are times where someone someone in the church has done something that's caused someone else to be lost. Yeah. And and rather than point the accusing finger to and, and we all have agency, right? So there is no yeah. coin who doesn't have agency in the church. Yeah, that's right. Agency. Yeah. But we should add um, there is this need to be humble as those who are trying to help others and actually be willing to say, well, what, how can I be more Christ-like in my approach and how can I clean up my own act? You might say, yeah. ways yeah. that I bless another person. So, yep. And, and sometimes we'll have to go after the coin that someone else lost. Right. Yeah. Um, Very true. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. And then the third one, so you've got the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the peril of the prodigal son. And where I'm just hitting these really briefly, because then we're going to go back through them in sort of a different uh, direction. Yeah. here. Yeah. But what do you do if you have someone that's truly rebellious, willfully um, rebellious? And and I'm not going to say you, you don't go after them. I think it's hard for us to always know if that's helpful. But I do think there comes a point where you can't just sort of re constantly run after them saying, pick me, pick me, pick me. There has to be a, a time given for people to use their agency, make their own choices. And we see the father of the prodigal son powerfully, beautifully keeping the light on and waiting yeah. for this first sign of coming back and then being present running to so he doesn't chase his son into a foreign land to say although there might be times when that's appropriate but he doesn't chase the son into a foreign land he waits lovingly he gives the message and then when that son starts to return he's ready to meet that son as he's returning so you give space for agency and that's a hard thing to do yeah as you are also loving someone yeah in fact maybe i can convey something that that has impacted and helped me it was uh and i won't share too much because i don't have his permission to share this story but someone that i i knew that was both uh an academic and a, a religious leader i mean we're all we take turns being religious leaders in the church right and, and in academia we take turns being leaders but anyway just a great guy in every way and had great kids but one of his kids certainly had very different viewpoints on a number of very important things than he did, right? And this was a, a child who was now college age. And, but I noticed that they still, I mean, I knew they had diametrically opposing views, but I noticed that they still were together all the time and having a good time with each other and, uh, you know, and so on. And I, so I just asked him one day, I said, uh, how do you do that, right? My kids were still so young. I didn't really have to worry about it yet. My oldest was like seven, I think. And they still, they kind of believe what you tell them to believe at that point. Um, but I asked him, how do you do that? And he said, he knows very well what my viewpoints are. So there is no point in my going over those every time we're together. Instead, every time we're together, I let him know I love him. Uh, he knows he differs from me. And sooner or later, he'll, he'll either uh, come to my point of view or he'll find his own way through life and we'll still love each other. And, and that was really impressive to me. And it did, uh, I mean, I don't know that they ever came to all exactly the same point of views, but uh, there, or there wasn't a need for a reconciliation because that estrangement hadn't happened, but their viewpoints did over time become more similar. Uh, and uh, I, I just thought that's uh, that, that reminded me of the prodigal son and his father. Right. He was just he didn't have to harp on his son and tell him what he'd done wrong. His son knew what he'd done wrong. He was just there uh, ready for him when he came. What's, what's the phrase Elder Bednar uses when he came to himself. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you. Sorry. But no, that, sure. that's exactly. Yeah. Right along these lines uh, of what what I was seeing here. And I just want to say in that rapid run through that, that's an approach of how can we be good finders and what can we learn from these series of what appear to be interconnected parables about being good finders. And I think those are powerful lessons and spending time on that in gospel doctrine and other ways is a really powerful way to read these chapters and these verses. Yeah. And 
if we're going to go back to Joseph Smith and say what elicited the beginning, what the the what was the question that prompted a certain response from Jesus? Let's mm -hmm. then read these first few verses. Then drew near unto him, this is verse one, all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. So you've got a bunch of people coming together to listen to Christ. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. So this is now the critique that is going to draw out this response. Right from Christ, that you are eating with sinners. Now, something I hear a lot of people talk about these uh, parables, and only rarely do I see this come first full circle. And I can't remember when I first noticed this. If you go all the way to the end, the big reveal that pulls it full circle. So there's parable about the lost sheep. There's a parable about the lost coin. And I would give almost a parable A and a parable B, the parable of the prodigal son, and then the parable of the elder son. Yeah. Struggling here. And that parable, we never get conclusion. It is left open-ended. And yeah. notice how it ends. The, the elder son has accused the father of eating with a sinner. Yeah. And the father has come out of the house to talk with and engage with the elder son who is missing association with the father because he is unwilling to be forgiving and open about the lost one. And, and so this to me then holds together the whole series of parables that the focus is actually more on the 99 and their continued need for Christ the Pharisees and Sadducees in this circumstance. And are you going to accept me or are you going to let your need to be in a position of judgment of others keep you away from me? Or are you going to come in and be united with the father, your, your spiritual father in this case with Christ? Uh, and, and then all of a sudden it, it turns the way that we normally read it, which is a good way, but it turns it a little bit on its head and it just changes the focus uh, uh, as we work through these. And maybe I can just, uh, as part of that, let, maybe we can just back up a little bit to the verses just before this. So I know that the, there are different orders and different gospel writers, but this is the way it's presented in Luke. And if you look at the, all the teachings um, just before this, it's a series of teachings where the Savior is telling people to be prepared to pay the price of discipleship, really, is, is what he's saying. That discipleship has a cost, and you need to be prepared to pay that. So, um, for example, uh, we get in, in chapter 14, um, where Christ says in verse 26, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I don't think it really means hate everybody, including his own life, but you need to love him more than you love all of these other things. And then he talks about you have to be able to bear your cross. And then he has this little parable about if you're going to build a tower, you you basically says you need you calculate the cost of the tower and make sure you can pay that cost before you start. And then he says the same thing about if you're going to go to war, you sit down and say, what would it take to win this war? And you figure out if you have it before you go to war. Um and, and then he ends it with this whole, if the salt is, is good, then that's good. But if it's lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? And there is a break because it, it, that, that's how chapter 14 ends. And then chapter 15 begins uh, with then drew near unto him. But I think that still the way Luke's presenting that, that there's, um, there's a connection here. And it seems to me that at least part of that connection is that part of the price we may have to pay to be disciples is to give up our ideas of, of being like holier than thou mm. of uh, of this is how things should be. And I can't have it be a different way and be a good disciple. Uh, and, and uh, instead saying, yeah, you actually may have to sometimes get out in the, you know, feeding the pigs, uh, the sop with the guy who's having a hard time and, and be willing to accept him back. Right. In my mind, that's part of it is that the cost of discipleship is to get rid of your, preconceived notions of the right way to be and instead be willing to be whatever you need to be to accept people back yeah i, I think that's really well said and I, I had not seen 
that progression of messages and how that then flows into Luke 15. I think that's really helpful. Um, well, so Joseph Smith actually follows his own advice, which is always uh, good and healthy. Let me read uh, a statement he makes about this as he's commenting on the parable of the lost sheep. He says, the hundred sheep, and I think by that he means the 99 sheep, represent mm -hmm. 100 Sadducees and Pharisees, as though Jesus had said, and he's talking about in this chapter, if yeah. you Sadducees and Pharisees are in the sheepfold, I have no mission for you. I am sent to look up sheep that are lost, and when I have found them, I will back them up and make joy in heaven. This represents hunting after a few individuals or one poor publican, which this group despised. Um, so in other words, he's saying, it, who who am I sent for? Well, those who recognize that they have a deep need for me, those who recognize that they are lost without me, those who are already found in their own minds and have it all figured out and don't need Christ. I don't I don't have anything for them because they don't need me. They don't want me. They don't acknowledge their need for me. They're not willing to be humble and come unto me. So who's coming unto him in this story? Well, the sinners are coming to, unto him. They're eating with him. They're joining with And by the way, we, we could talk, of course, uh, Carrie, we could spend time on table fellowship and how these, these kinds of things were a real challenge and a real debate. Uh, who should we eat with in that uh, uh Kashrut laws, kosher laws uh, sort of played a role with this. And this is a real subject of debate. Who is it okay to eat with and what does it mean? And then it sort of uh, by extension, metaphorically, then it ends up applying to, well, who do you associate with and, and what's healthy and what's not healthy with regards right. to it's sort of fascinating things that actually do matter. We do have to make decisions with in our lives. Well, so uh, Joseph Smith, follows his own rules um, as he's as he's going through this, which is really fascinating. Here he uh, talks about the coins. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth more than over 99 just persons that are so righteous. They, meaning the prideful ones, will be damned anyhow. You cannot save them. <laughs> yep, that's my favorite one. Yeah. <laughs> the fun thing about this is as powerful as those messages are, and I find them very powerful that we need to search for others because that's what Christ is doing. He is searching for others. But I hope then we don't, in our effort to search for others, we don't then start to believe that we don't desperately need Christ ourselves, right? This is a community of individuals who all need the Savior, right? Uh, and, and Joseph Smith is trying to poke at those who think, hey, you know, I, I, I'm on the good, I'm the good guy, the others are the bad guys. Nope, we're all sort of the bad guys, uh, but yeah. the good guys are the ones who seek after Christ, right? Yeah, and I think I mean that, that thing you just read about how they're damned anyhow, right? I, I uh, there there is a powerful lesson in there, just as you were saying, and I think maybe we can drill it just a little further. That um, sometimes we get caught up in the the things. I mean, we should and things we should be focusing on, like okay, we go to church on Sunday, and I dress the way that I'm supposed to dress when I go to church, and I partake of the sacrament, and I pay my tithing, and I I do my ministry, and these kinds of things. Um, but it's easy for us to get so comfortable in how well we're doing because we do that checklist and then to look down on people who aren't doing that checklist, right. And show, oh, this guy, he showed up, uh, in church and he's not dressed the right way. Um, and I could tell you stories about that. Like a, a guy I know who left, it, it turns out he had, he was uh, traveling and his luggage had been stolen. So he came in what clothes he had and wanted to still worship with the saints. And he left because he was kind of pushed out um, for not dressing the right way and things like that. Right. When, when really what we should have been doing is, Oh, your luggage was stolen. Let, let us help you out. You're in a bad spot. Right. Um, it's so easy for us to get caught up in this checklist thing and then look down on anyone who's not doing the same checklist, the same way we are. Um, and I think that gives us two problems. One, that the problem that you're talking about, which is, we start to think we're fine and we don't need Christ. And the moment you think that you are, you are damned anyhow, right? If, if, if you're not relying on Christ, then you're not going to make it. Um, but the second is that we're really not becoming the kind of Christ-like person that I think we want to become when we're looking down on others. I don't think the Savior 
he recognized sin as sin, but I don't think he was looking down on it. He was saying, what's going on with this person and what do we have to do to help change that person uh, and, and reaching out to them in that way rather than in a condemning way, right? Neither do I condemn thee, but go and sin no more kind of a thing, right? Uh, and, and so sometimes I think we, f- we forget how the way we view others affects whether or not we are becoming more like Christ. And that's what we want more than anything else. I mean, our ultimate purpose in being here is to have our natures change to be more Christ-like. And some of that is what we do, and some of it is, is allowing him to change us. But neither of those happen when we are thinking of ourselves as good and someone else bad. That at no point is that going to help you become more Christ-like. Uh, and, and so as we have this discussion, I hope that we'll think of it in terms of how does this affect the kind of being I'm becoming? Am I becoming more like Christ or less like Christ? Yeah, I think that's excellent. And, you know, it, Christ doesn't critique them for their checklists, actually, or for the ways that they're trying to do good and be good. The thing he critiques them on is don't let your your frustration with other people divide yeah. you from Christ. And so you've connected in really beautiful ways our relationship with Christ and what that means with our relationship with our fellow beings. And yes. Christ seems to be doing the same thing. It's not so much, Hey, uh, you know, you're, you're bad. The only thing that makes you bad is that you are allowing your relationship with others. So think of the way that he critiques Martha who is frustrated with Mary. And I don't think he's critiquing her choice of what she's doing you're careful about many things. I think that's actually a very warm compliment. He's actually really pleased with that. But what he doesn't want to support is Martha's condemnation for of Mary's choice to be close to the Savior, right? Yes, yes. So I think we've got a similar kind of a scenario going on here where he says, okay, all that's great. You need to come to me you need to come into the house and be part of the community and and we can we can get judgmental with each other in a whole lot of different ways in the community of Christ and people who say i can't be with these people anymore because they don't they, they don't represent the values that are deeply important to me in in whatever ways and so i i've got to disassociate myself and i i think you know everybody's got to make their own decisions but come be part of the community and rub shoulders with imperfect people who are trying to seek after christ right Uh, very good very good and also acknowledge that coming different people look differently as they come to christ yeah yeah (laughs) yeah Good. Uh, so let's then spend a little bit more time, though, unpacking some of this powerful last parable, or if we're going to think of it in this way, last two parables. I have loved a statement about what the son is trying to do, just how shocking it is that the son is saying, give me my inheritance now. Like, Imagine what that would sound like to my dad if I said, hey, dad, you know, that money that you may still need, like I, I can't start using my inheritance because my parents are, it's still their money. They're still alive. Yeah. And they That's awfully selfish yeah. of them to still be alive. Right. And, yeah. and I, there is no inheritance until parents actually pass away because then they don't need their money anymore. But, but you know, this is a, a thing societally to start spending your parents' money, you know, while they're yeah. they're still around. But uh, and that it's theirs. It's not mine. And and if I say, hey, I want my inheritance now, that means I'm assuming you don't need it anymore. I, I know better what you should be doing with your money than you do. Or put another way, it's as though you are dead to me. You your needs don't matter. The only yep. thing that matters here is my needs. And so then this really uh, powerful statement uh, by a commentator that I think it's Robert Miller Millet who quotes this. He's got a really nice book about parables. The younger son breach with the family was total. He gathered all he had traveled to a distant country. No property of his should remain with them because as long as what belongs to him is with them, he is in a sense with them and they are with him. In the distant country, he did exactly the opposite of what a member of a good household should do. He squandered the inheritance in dissolute living. All behavioral patterns learned at home must be put aside because as long as he behaves like a son, he is a son and home is with him and he is in a sense at home. His project was to unsun himself. 
There was no place in him for the place called home. That the father considered him lost, even dead, confirms this. Departure was not an act of separation required for the formation of a distinct identity. This is not him becoming his own self. This is him becoming the opposite yeah. of what he had been taught to be. The anti-self, the anti-family, right? Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, ironically, still defines one in terms of the family. Just, yep. right? That's exactly right. Uh, we see That's this, exactly right. Right? Departure was not an act of separation required for the formation of a distinct identity, but an act of exclusion by which the self pulls itself out of the relationships without which it would not be what it is. It, it ignores the fact that we actually don't have life except that it was given to us by another and cuts itself off from responsibilities to others and makes itself their enemy. Now, by the way, this is not to brush over that really challenging things can happen. And I'm not trying to claim that we should always stay connected to our blood relationship. I don't, I, I'm not saying that that's the case, right. but right. there is certainly, he is trying to become the opposite. He's trying to unsun himself. And, and this is Wolf uh, in exclusion embrace who makes this point. And I think it's very, very powerful particularly when you see that the very first thing that sparks in in him is so so he's descended to the lowest of the low right yeah. uh and of, as we know the story he wants to eat the food of the pigs which of course as a jewish boy is an unclean animal but he's not allowed to eat it. Well, why not? Well, what the owner of those pigs is saying, no, my pigs make me money. I want to feed the pigs because I profit from the pigs. You are nothing to me. You're yeah. the you're the person, you're the thing that feeds the thing that I value. So no, you don't get to eat their food. I value the pigs. You are lower in value to me than my pigs, which are an exactly. And that's that's got to be a hard thing. He realizes that. And that's got to be a hard thing to realize that this person values me in that way. And and the person that you run to in an effort to separate yourself from those former relationships, and then it dawns on him, uh, these that I've run to because I'm trying to unsun myself value me almost infinitely less than what I was valued before. And the first thought that comes to him basically is, I have a father. I have a father. And because I have a father, well, I've been a jerk. I've been terrible to my family, but but maybe my dad will take me back. Maybe I've got a dad. Yeah. Maybe my dad will take me back again. And and that family relationship, I had, uh, I was in a discussion with a, a Protestant Christian friend who said, ah, oh, you know, this isn't, this seems like not the Latter-day Saint understanding of we go and we come back. I don't see that represented in the scriptures. And I said, well, look at the par parable of the prodigal son. It's the relationship that already existed, that we've left the home of a father and we trust that a father is wants us to come back home that's sort of a latter-day saint understanding of of this section i can go back home and he wants me to come back home so no matter how lame i am at times i've got a father and i i bet maybe i can throw myself at his mercy and i bet he'll take me back even though i've been bad in this relationship but he's my dad you know yeah yeah in fact as, as you say that uh it makes me think i've taught when i teach about like the Exodus story or the Jaredite Exodus or the Nephite Exodus or temples, I often teach about what we would call the archetypal journey. And I say, that's the journey that we're all on. And to try and explain that, I say to everyone, well, this is the journey we're all on. I can sum up the entire gospel in this one sentence. We've left God's presence mm -hmm. and we're trying to return to God's presence again, hopefully in a higher, holier state. But we're trying to get back to God's presence, right? That is what the gospel, that's why Christ was sent. That's why there's a covenant. It, it, everything is about that and in my mind the 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 prodigal son parable is that archetypal journey i mean that, that's what you just described this is a son who left and he it's possible for him to come back no matter how low he descended it's always possible for him to come back and as we've been as a church exploring how much covenants are about relationships i think we've been exploring that a bit lately uh i i think that adds uh, an element to this story that 
that, as you said, that relationship already existed. Uh, and because it already existed, then there's something to rekindle and come back to. And I think that's, that's part of the covenant, right? We've, we've, we've connected a relationship with the father. We may stray, but that relationship can always be rekindled. Thank you. Well, and while he's in this far country uh, struggling and suffering and he's separated himself from the family, it it really lacks a whole lot of meaning, but it's still there. It's still yes. deep inside. But what we he probably want... actually hates it. It's not just that it lacks meaning. It's the thing that he doesn't want and that he despises and would, is trying to get away from, but it doesn't, it still doesn't quench it. It's still there. So that when he needs it, when hope kindles, then he, he comes back home. And and what we want is the born-again relationship, which is what he experiences, not even early on when he's at home, but he's not really appreciating what he's getting, nor when he's far away. It's the it's it's being the 99, recognizing, wow, I desperately need this family relationship and coming back home. And I actually think the father has changed uh, as well. I suspect the father has changed in, in this uh, whole experience as well. But anyway, um, I, I want to pause because I suspect that there are those listening who this is painful for because there are those who don't feel like they have a father, you know, uh, that yes. would respond to them in these ways. And I just want or, to, or a mother either way. I mean, right. That, Absolutely. A parent that may not respond in that way. And, and so I want to acknowledge that real true reality, potential reality of mortality, and then point to the, uh, our heavenly father who perfectly loves and it can be very hard to see the father the heavenly father as a perfectly loving being when we've had a challenging relationship with our own parents but to let that hope that's the that's the perfect hope that can rekindle within us and that we come back home to the father in heaven right um yeah in fact maybe i can just uh with you emphasize that um Again, I don't want to share too much because I don't have permission to share, but I had a student I was very, uh, my family was close to in Jerusalem who, whose mother had basically left, uh, abandoned her and her siblings and had nothing to do with them. And I remember her saying uh, that that probably hurts in a way nothing else can because this is the one person who you should be able to count on above everybody else your mother should be that person that is always there and to have that be the one person that's rejected you is incredibly painful but she did say that that pushed her all the more towards her heavenly father because that's the one person she knew would never reject her yeah well, so uh, here's another quick statement from Robert Millet. This one actually is him, uh, I think, himself. There is no coming to oneself without the memory of belonging. The self has been constructed in relation to others, and it can come to itself only through relationship to others. That's very powerful, I think. Mm -hmm. So that memory, and then that leads us into what we might call a born-again relationship. So the son starts this journey home. There's a number who have talked about how powerful it is to have the father see him afar off. What do you need to be doing to see the first evidences and then mm -hmm. to come running through the community? And, and I, there's, there's a, a, a nice moment where one of the scholars says he's taking the shame of the homeward journey upon himself. He's running to the sun so that then he can walk back home arm in arm with the sun and protect the sun, so to speak, from the barbs and the critique that might come. If if you, this community probably loves this good father, this good man, and has not appreciated the sun's behavior. Yeah. Yeah. For very good reason, right? Uh, mm -hmm. yeah. But so then he comes back home. They, they kill the fatted calf. There's some really nice symbols of inheritance of true sonship, right? Uh, there, there's uh, rings and there's, you know, coming into this, this home and this community um, that, that are really important in, in the storyline. And he puts a robe, places a robe upon him, which, of course, that clothing has a symbolic sort of kafar or kippur or covering kinds of yeah. symbolism, right? Mm -hmm. So then let's move then from this beautiful reunion and the son who is accepted back by his father to the elder son. I want you to, let's imagine a scenario where somebody has maybe misunderstood how 
how it works in the church in the restored gospel. And maybe it's a good man who's been faithful his own life. And he's thought, I show up to everything. I serve well. And the yeah. evidence that I'm accepted and that I am valued and that I'm honored is that I'm supposed to serve as bishop someday, right? Maybe someone yeah. just has misunderstood that that's how no. it's supposed to work. Yeah, right. I know. I've, I've heard uh, uh, this before. And you think, well, you, then you deserve it. But anyway. Um. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> uh, true. And, and then someone else who's been maybe less active out of the community for years comes back to activity and has and, and is deeply humble connects well with the community is ready to serve and it's time to call a new bishop and the new bishop is called and it's the person who has been less active for for years so this is a scenario we can imagine it actually i'm sure has happened numerous times and yeah. how the misunderstanding of what this is all about causes the church activity of the other brother to turn to dust and ashes for him and and deep frustration i've been here all along and the father is thinking but that's not the point of being here the point is to be in relationship with me that's what this is all yeah. about it's not honor it's not position it's 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 the blessings of the gospel it's the blessings of community right so and, and there's another point as well so i think there i mean i i i think that's the most important point and uh, i i could not agree more that this this idea of of relationship with each other with god you know that that kind of chesed that we've talked about that that's that relationship that existed that can be rekindled and we'll never give up on each other that's important um but there's another thing as well uh this son has not stopped to consider the enjoyment he's had the entire time as he's been with his father and the pain that the other son went through because of his stupid choices right and it's the same thing with the the man who is active the whole time he avoided a lot of pain that the man who was doing other things went through and we should be happy that we didn't go through the pain and happy that someone else can now stop having that pain but but that's not often how we think of it yeah and so he wasn't there and it couldn't even be fed the pig food right yep yeah, didn't have to go through that deeply humbling process because he stayed, he stayed connected. But if we don't actually pause and rejoice, if we get uh, oriented incorrectly about what what this is all about as members of the community of Christ, and that this is about um, how we look to others, this is about honor or position then you could anticipate somebody totally missing the point of all the blessings week after week after week because they, they, they've they started to feel like this is about something else. And that yeah. does, in the end, turn to dust and ashes uh, for us. That kind of stuff is not, and that's what Christ is saying, That's it's not about power, it's not about position, it's not about being in a position where you are better than someone else. It's about right. rejoicing in a relationship with God. Uh, with the father absolutely but the world teaches us to think of it differently and that's really our struggle is is uh are we yielding to the divine nature within us that then what it yearns more than anything else is that divine connection or are we yielding to the the fallen nature in us that listens to the world which tells us that power possession pa uh, popularity pleasures of the flesh uh are what will give us what we want right so that's those are the four p's president helsing gave us recently but yeah. um uh, and and most of us are listening to both. Yeah, uh, I don't know anyone that's not. So uh, that's that's our job is to keep saying, OK, wait, that voice is the worldly voice. I need to listen more to this other voice. I think that's really well said. And that's that's the beautiful thing about reading the parables in this way is it doesn't then set up a good guys versus bad guys kind of a scenario. It says, no, I do this like I, I don't have this figured out. I need Christ is meeting each of us where we are to say notice that you're bifurcated right and and let me draw you away from that which is actually causing you this dismay it's keeping you disconnected so this is from barclay he wrote a book called the parables of jesus says it has been said and said truly that the greatest fault is to be conscious of no fault self-righteousness shuts a man off both from god and from his fellow beings Right. Mm -hmm. 
And, mm-hmm. and so this is about being emotionally healthy. Actually, this is about uh, being in relationship with others because we give space for others in their own quest uh, for Christ. This is about the covenant path, as as uh, Dr. Muelstein is, uh, you know, so good at reminding us of. The covenant path is us seeking after God, letting Him meet us where we are to encourage us, to encourage us, and then to commit to greater acts of holiness in ways that unite us with the community around us. And so it 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 works so beautifully together as we seek after the Lord, that then we seek to support each other. And then it does pull around full circle to us being better shepherds with each other, right? Very good. Yeah. Yeah. And our connections with each other are, can only be so strong if that, if they're not connections through God, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, and that's, I think the role of the father in this parable, he's the one that is going to get these two brothers back together. Yeah. Uh, if they will both listen to him, then as you said, it's not, we don't see how the parable ends. But if both will focus on their relationship with the father, their relationship with each other will happen again, because yeah. that's what their father wants. So let's read um, the last two verses here. Let me just read these in Luke 15. He said unto him, son, thou art ever with me. This is the point that you were making, Carrie. The son has had all the benefits of being with the father. Thou art ever with me. All that I have is thine. I am openly sharing it. You're not reduced by someone else who's imperfect uh, with me sharing what I have with them. It was meet we should meet, make merry and be glad for this. Thy brother was dead and is alive and was lost and is found. And and then it ends. And we're left not knowing if the brother ever comes inside. And so I guess the plea for me to myself uh, as I read these parables is, and, and for any other who have sort of allowed themselves to be outside of the community of Christ, to come back and be part of a covenantal relationship with God and not let your frustrations with others get in the way of your relationship, your covenantal relationship with God. And so if you've been hurt in, uh, you know, in a church setting, wounded in a church setting, I, I don't want to say that those things shouldn't happen or that you have to pretend that you're not wounded by that, but come, don't let that get in the way of your covenantal relationship with God stay and be part of the covenantal path. And that, that'd be true of me as well. And, and what I would hope to do in my own life as well. That's very good. It's very, very good. And I, and I hope uh, I, I, if we can kind of tie those other two parables in with, uh, that and that idea that we're trying to become more like Christ. I, I hope we're, we're willing to recognize that uh, some people have been prodigal sons and some people aren't, but they don't look the, the way we look as we've been a son that's been staying or a daughter that's been staying with our parents the whole time. Uh, that's not our job to to worry about. Our job is to just love each other and help us all come to God and love God and and uh, and that there's a as we said there's a certain cost to that and the cost is uh, getting rid of the way we think and uh, accepting the way Christ thinks. And that's that's the price we have to pay to to get rid of our own worldly influenced thoughts. Whether that, and there are different ways. So when I say worldly influence, usually I I think of you know the world's telling you hey all this sin is okay. But in this case, it's also worldly influence to think. I'm right, you're wrong. Um, instead of, hey, we can let's all figure out how to be with God together. Uh, and so we just have to be willing to sacrifice our way of thinking and accept God's way of thinking. Yeah, and I think you've you've made the point uh, a couple of times, and it's it's so true that that the goal is not for us to just be okay with you know say uh, sin is doesn't matter. That's not the no. idea. The idea. No for each one of us to say, I need to come unto Christ in, in ways of holiness. And that includes loving others and, and blessing others as I come unto Christ. So the anger, the frustration of the elder brother leaves him outside of the building. And let's recognize, even if you're coming to church, even if I'm coming to church every Sunday and taking the sacrament, if my 
anger and frustration with others is separating me from a, a satisfying relationship with Heavenly Father. I, I've, I'm, I'm outside of the building. I need to come into the building, come into the community. So, I love that that phrase, that idea. Yep, come come back into the home, right? Let's let's be part of the feast together. Uh, that's beautiful. Good stuff. It's a good chapter. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, one of the more memorable, I'd say it like, uh, was it just last week or the week before, maybe the week before we did the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And uh, I think the parable of the prodigal son and the parable of the Good Samaritan are, are two of the most memorable parables and, and oft cited parables in Christianity for good reason. Um, and this one in particular, because uh, it, it hits us all home. We're all part of a family. And uh, uh, we've all uh seen one way or another that these parables happen in our lives uh and and hopefully uh it the value of parables is that they can yield different things to us at different times so hopefully everyone is learning something today some way this applies to you uh it might be in one of the ways you were talking about earlier that that president mckay had gone through and it might be in, in some of these ways we we're just talking about now or who knows what but there's some way that this parable applies to you uh and uh hopefully we can find that way that it helps us draw closer to the Father and bring others with us. Well, thank you, Sean. Beautiful stuff. And uh, we hope that not only have you found a way that it applies to you, but you can share it with others. Not, I mean, we're not saying you should go and tell others how it applies to them. That may not be the most <laughs> helpful way to go about this, but uh, but that you'll share these thoughts with others. And, uh, and maybe you even find... Uh, some some added uh, charity or added uh, elements of ability to forgive or something along those lines uh, in your heart as well. But uh, hopefully the spirit speaks to you and edifies you as you, uh, well, what we hope is as you listen to this and then that, that prods you to go back in and read the scriptures. And it's really as you're reading the scriptures again, that you have the greatest opportunity for that spirit to bear witness. We never want the, this uh, podcast to replace reading the scriptures. We just want it to enhance and urge further reading. So we hope that happens for everyone. Thank you, Sean, and thank you, everybody else. Thanks, Carrie. Good to be with you.